Hello and welcome to the Mantelligent Podcast. This is the show for guys and all about guys. Have you ever struggled with feeling behind the curve in basic man intelligence? Well, that is exactly what we're going to help you with. On this week's show, we will discuss what guys need to know about buying a vehicle. Buying a vehicle can be stressful, but hopefully with the tools you will learn on this episode, you will drive off the lot confident you got the very best deal. Let's get started. Okay, well, uh, we're back here with another great episode of the Mantelligent Podcast. Um, I'd like to, uh, of course, introduce myself, Johnny Marvin, and as always, I am joined with Reed Primetime Fisher. It's good to be back. So today we have a really, really exciting show um, because I think it's really, really practical, and I think that it's going to be something that people will be able to listen, and, and it'll bring immediate value uh, when you're in this stage of your life, and that is when you are buying a vehicle. So today's special guest is uh, a guy that has uh, a ton of experience in in the automotive industry and, and specifically in buying cars and that sort of thing. Uh, so let's go ahead and welcome to the show, Brandon Thomas. Thank you for having me, guys. So Brandon, um, explain a little bit about what got you into into the kind of car business. For me, the car business was a family business. My grandpa started selling Fords in the 1950s and uh, later opened Bill Letter Ford in Denton, Texas. My mother married my father while working for Ford Motor Company in Houston, and they opened Bob Thomas Ford in 1983 right here in McKinney, Texas. In 2009, just over 10 years ago, we added Brandon Thomas Subaru to the lineup. Awesome. And uh, so I'm currently managing partner at Bob Thomas Ford and Brandon Thomas Subaru right here in McKinney, Texas. And I've been doing that full times for about 13, 14 years. So all you know is cars, the car, but the dealership experience. You know, m- mainly I, I worked in high school. I, I uh, had jobs washing cars worked in detail, done the various jobs that uh, there is in a dealership. In college, I spent a little time outside of uh, automotive just to make sure that's what I wanted to do. But as soon as I graduated college, I joined up full time and haven't looked back since. Awesome. It's a really interesting industry. and, And candidly, it's one that I think a lot of people don't trust 100%. A lot of people have had you know, bad experience, or they had they perceive to have had a bad experience, and so I think having somebody from that industry is going to be really, really helpful in kind of giving people perspective on what the car buying process could look like, or or how to kind of better prepare for that. I guess. Yeah, because I think a part of it is obviously no businesses is in business to just work for free, so they have right. to make money. But how, as a consumer, can you end up getting the best bang for your buck? I think that's kind of what we're going to point out here, and you can see and have realistic expectations. So, what was what was your very first car? And just kind of kind of getting to know you a little bit more. What was your very first car to own? Oh God, it was a Chevy or Toyota. Guaranteed. <laughs> um, it had to be a Ford. I'm just saying. Well, I, I've never actually owned a car in my life. Ooh, humble brag. Um, so, uh, I I started driving pre-owned cars off my dad's used car lot. I think it was a Ford Explorer was my my first car. All right. Um, but we. Uh, would would trade them out and and sell sell them and pick something else and that's what I've been doing 
So I've never actually had a car payment and had to insure myself, but um, you know. You feel sorry for us poor schmucks. Although yeah. although I've never had to buy a car, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty good at knowing how to do it. So yeah. I, yeah. I I do think I can share some insight today. Yeah. All right, so let's kind of jump straight into uh, some of what people need to need to know. The first thing, when you go to a car lot, one of the things that can be intimidating is there's a whole lot of terms. There's a whole lot of vernacular that that maybe somebody is not quite as familiar with. So go over some of the some of the terminology that somebody needs to kind of understand what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, whether you're looking at a a new or used car, the there should be a v- price on the vehicle, and uh, when it's a new vehicle, it's going to be MSRP. MSRP stands for the manufacturer's suggested retail price, okay. and it should be clearly um, on the vehicle, on the window, or on the windshield, and that is what the manufacturer for Toyota says that the vehicle should be sold at, um, because. The automotive business is a free market. You know, we're able to negotiate off that, and we'll go through some of those tactics uh, that dealerships use a little later. The other thing um, you want to know is rebates. And uh, when you're talking about a new vehicle, there are rebates. That is money, incentives from the manufacturer to buy a certain vehicle. And uh, they come in lots of shapes and forms. But uh, typically, those rebates have to be given to the consumer. So it's not something that the dealer can scoop or... Or okay. put to his bottom line, you know. Back in the day, I think there was some of that where dealer cash and they could choose to give it to a consumer or choose to keep it themselves. And those days are pretty much gone. So if the money's not passed on to the consumer, it's passed up by the store. So it's in the best interest to put the best deal together and give that the Wait, rebate. To is the that consumer. in kind of because of now consumers are maybe a little bit smarter or a little bit more knowledgeable because of the internet? Is that why they've kind of cracked down on? dealers keeping those rebates yeah I, I believe so I think uh, all the brands all the manufacturers want to do better yeah um, and I think part of that was trying to be more transparent with the consumers and so that money is is no longer something that you can hold or keep if you're if you're able to but uh, you know you have to pass it on to the consumer awesome and so it's it, and, and I think it is a better car buying experience now uh, not just for the consumer, but for the salespeople as well. You know, it's it's just more straightforward and more transparent. Interesting. So, what are some other terms? Uh, one one that I want to throw out is uh, certified pre-owned. That, to me, is I, I I don't really understand what exactly that comes with or that entails. Uh, but what so on that one, what what is what exactly is certified pre-owned? So, certified pre-owned uh, varies from manufacturer to manufacturer, but it's a pre-owned vehicle that has gone through a 100 to 200 point inspection by the dealer that is and then certified so it it says that these 100 or 200 components that we've looked at you know everything's in working order and uh, typically it extends the warranty on that vehicle by a year 12,000 miles so if there's a year left you get two years you know 24,000 miles and uh, it extends the powertrain warranty typically as well and then, to entice you to purchase um, those vehicles, there's a lot of subvened rates, which is a, another term we hadn't got to yet. But yeah. a, a subvened rate is where we're buying the the a- annual percentage rate down um, from what the standard rate is. Okay. So if standard rates in the United States are three nine to five nine, but you see, hey, everybody's advertising zero percent or point nine. 
Um, those are subvented rates because those rates don't exist, but the manufacturer is using money to provide those rates to the consumer. So the certified pre-owned would, if you were to, if you were to say someone's going to get a used car, certified pre-owned is the closest thing to a new car that you can get. Absolutely, we're we're a big believer in it. You know, we're going to talk about it later in the show, but private party sales or uh, buying from a dealership. If you buy a vehicle that is pre-owned and used, you know, there's there's no guarantee that they've done everything to make that vehicle as new as possible. I mean. We always do 100% of safety repairs to a vehicle before we sell it, but we, you know, may decide to polish up the, uh, you know, seats or not, or decide to fix a, a scratch or a repair. Um, but on a certified vehicle, we're required to do all those things. So uh, non-certified, you know, the cost might be down a little bit, but the vehicle might not be in the same shape as the certified vehicle. Hmm. All right. So, what are, are there any other uh, things that people need to know that they might run into as they're as they're buying a car? Yeah, I mean, a- absolutely. You know, a lot of times you'll see this is the price before TTNL, mm-hmm. and uh, to understand TTNL, um, you got tax, and in the state of Texas, that's six and a quarter percent. So, uh, pretty easy to calculate there. Um, and then the TNL stand for title and licensing fees. Typically, also include the documentation fee. And, um, you know, and that you have to pay for. I mean, there, there's no way around that. That's just that's not really put on by the dealership. That's that's by the state. That is correct. Um, in the state of Texas, they're pretty nominal. In other states like Florida and Canada, um, I know it's not a state, but um, Florida, <laughs> different Canada, areas, yeah. different areas state of, of, of North America. They can be very high. They can be over $500, and I believe they can be negotiated in those areas. In the state of Texas, it's uh, mandated to be at $150. Uh, that's pretty much what majority of the stores are at, and uh, it's a non-negotiable fee. So, so what is, like, the best – so if, if I'm going in and I'm like, hey, I got my vehicle at invoice, fair purchase price, whatever, like, what, what would be the is, – is invoice, like, the best – the bottom dollar? Is that the best thing you can do? You know, not necessarily. I, I, I definitely think when you're going in to negotiate a car purchase, you should feel comfortable with the people that you're dealing with, and you should ask for the invoice. And if they're not willing to provide you the invoice of the vehicle, that might not be the best place to do business. And what exactly does the invoice show? The invoice shows the MSRP, the suggested retail price. It also shows the invoice price, which is what the dealership's able to buy the vehicle for. And then there's holdback. And uh, hold back something that some people know, some people don't know, but, but hold back is typically the difference between invoice and what the dealer is actually paying for that vehicle. Okay. Will that show on the, that, will that show on the invoice, the hold back? It does on Ford and Subaru invoices. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if it shows on all invoices. Because sometimes in that case, you're like, I'm taking a loss on this. You know, if, if somebody was to try to negotiate the entire hold back, uh, that leaves nothing for the, the dealer to make. Uh, the deal might fall apart, but then again, there's a lot of ways to put a deal together if there's a trade-in or if they're financing or buying warranties. So although somebody might take a sale, sale price uh, below invoice, below holdback, I, I think some maybe splitting holdback is, you know, pretty fair, pretty fair. And if, if you're getting to below invoice, you know, you're doing a good job. You, you know kind of where you are in that purchase price. There's also websites like 
com and you can go to TrueCar and you can look at what your you know what 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 the average transaction price is for the vehicle you want to buy okay so that that kind of um i think encapsulates a lot of the terminology because it can be a little overwhelming you get there and there's these stickers on the car and it has all these numbers and you're maybe smart enough to know like ah this is not what i am going to be buying it for and so that that adds this level of confusion which is sometimes why people enjoy you know dealerships that are like the no haggle price and and that sort of thing like the carmax is that what you're talking about yeah and and be, and maybe they don't get as good of a deal but they they don't feel like they need like a degree in car dealership you know to to go in and actually feel like they're going to be able to negotiate but it doesn't have to be that way as long as you kind of understand some of the terminology you understand exactly kind of how the pricing's put together and and you're working with a good you know salesperson a good uh, a quality dealership you're not going to some side of the road you know so let me ask you a question because you said there's two things one of them you said rebate is like kind of paramount is that right i hear you said for new cars for new cars i wouldn't say it's paramount i mean it, it definitely matters but you know if you're shopping two dealerships for the best price right the rebates are going to be the exact same Oh, okay. So they're they're not one's not going to offer something that the other can't. Okay. So um, does then the, with MSRP, just a question on that. Do you ever is, is a car ever sold at MSRP? Like if someone were to look at the sticker and see MSRP is fifty thousand, should they in their head go, I'm not going to pay that? You know that that's a good question, and it also depends on the vehicle. When you look at like the Ford Raptor, which is a really popular vehicle that. Ford came out with a few years ago, a truck that just everybody wanted yeah. and nobody could it's, get their hands on. It's a mean-looking truck. Um, that was selling at five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 over MSRP for probably the first two years, anybody that could get their hands on them. It was like supply and demand sort of thing. Exactly. And and now that you know vehicle has zero rebates and is still typically transacting very close to MSRP um, without much discount. And same with like a high-end Mustangs or so some of your more one-off cars, exotic vehicles. Um, a lot of times we'll transact at MSRP and sometimes a little higher. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, for the most part, I think you're going to come off of MSRP when we're talking about typical cars, trucks, sedans, and SUVs. So with with that, and I know there's one part we're going to talk into researching, like picking the, the car lot that you want to go to. But you said of those, so if we're talking main, main car vernacular, right, yeah. as you said, to understand, what is the thing that you need? Like if there's one thing that I'd say – Comparing this dealership, this Ford dealership to this Ford dealership, what is the one thing you need to be asking for or looking for? Like on, on building a deal out. I, I think when you're when you're building a deal out, um, you definitely want to go somewhere where you feel comfortable. You feel that they're being honest with you. Um, they're not hiding anything from you. Um, if you've done your research before you got there, that the numbers they're presenting you are in line with what you expected when you came in. And uh, so I think, you know, the first part of a good car deal is definitely negotiating the purchase price. Um, but a lot of times that's all the consumer does is, mm-hmm. is they care about. But there's a lot more than that. Like the out-the-door price sort of deal? Yeah, and, and that's a – the out-the-door price is, you know – definitely what you want to be looking at uh, especially if there's a trade-in and uh, you know somebody might 
be giving you X dollars for your trade-in and you know you want a little more than that. So that's a negotiable deal. Not everybody knows that. Sometimes people think, oh, they're only giving me $10,000 for my trade-in. This isn't where I want to do business. Um, or, hey, you know, I wanted 12,000, they said 10,000, okay. Um, yeah. So I think there's, there's, there's multiple steps and, and I definitely want to go through that and break that down. Yeah. But uh, the first step would absolutely be the, the purchase price of the vehicle is negotiating the best price right there. Okay. Wow. All right. So now, um, now that we kind of have some of the terminology, let's talk about the difference between some of the pros and cons of going to a dealership and trying to buy something on, you know, private party, either uh, like uh, Facebook or, you know, what about Craigslist like Carvana or, or all, all those? Well, yeah, Carvana. Well, Carvana is used, isn't it? I don't know. Is do you know anything about Carvana? Yeah, Carvana is a, a platform to sell used vehicles. The okay. used car vending machines. They got the big one on one twenty one. Yeah, and, um, you know they've spent a lot of money to provide a incredible online shopping experience that a lot of dealers probably haven't invested in the infrastructure to do yeah. that. And so customers feel, you know, like, hey, this is what I was looking for. This is the price. I, you know, I I'll buy it. But I think a lot of people still want to touch, feel drive the vehicle, right. especially when you're talking about a pre-owned. And uh, I think that's where your dealership comes into play. You know, versus a private party, uh, nothing wrong with buying a vehicle from a private party, but there's no standard as to what that, yeah. how that vehicle was taken care of, um, what was repaired or serviced before it was being sold to you. And, uh, you know, what technician looked at it was it even looked at by a dealership. And then you have to handle your tax, title, licensing, all on your own. You know, when you go to a dealership, it's a, a full service. You know, they'll, they'll take your trade in, they'll pay it off if there's a remaining balance. They'll get you finance, tax, title, license out the door, and it's all in one transaction. Yeah. And, you know, private party, you know, I, I'd, I'd assume the majority of those experiences go well, but, but you never know. Yeah. I think it's almost probably that sounds like it's that peace of mind if you do a dealer if you go to a dealership just because if something were to happen you have someone fighting for your business versus just like sorry dude left you hanging yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely and a reputation at stake right that's right so if somebody did want to go private party and they wanted to try to you know roll the dice a little bit do you have any advice on things that they need to just kind of pay attention to through that process you know, if you were going to go private party, I think you still got to do your research and make sure that the transaction price is, is where you want to be. I'd also make sure they allow you to take the vehicle and get it inspected by a third party, whether that be your technician at your local dealership or your private technician down the road that you're like just some, some mechanic. Put but I would definitely think it. you'd want somebody to take a look at yeah. it and make sure something Technician, happen. Johnny, not a mechanic. I'm sorry about my friend here. <laughs> I call it a mechanic. Well, technician sounds better. Grease sounds monkey. more official. Grease monkey, I think, is the official term. <laughs> but you definitely want, and and if you know you're somebody that has a, a pretty tech savvy background or, or knows a lot about vehicles, then 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 you might not need to do that step. But these are very complicated machines yeah. um, from the electronics to the powertrain. And uh, I definitely would recommend if you're going through a private party to make sure you take that extra step. Okay. And then kind of read, kind of ask this question, but I think we can dig in a little bit deeper. But if I was looking at, you know, in, like five dealerships, so I kind of go online and I see what the inventory is, dealers advertise 
like crazy on every media channel that you can possibly uh, consume. So now I have three or four that I want to do uh, go to. What what are some ways that you feel like I can vet out, or at least you know if I have five, let's get rid of these two. What are some easy ways to vet out those dealers? I think the best thing to do is to find a vehicle that is similar at all three stores or five stores and ask for a a, a price quote, best price on that vehicle. Okay. Um, Maybe the first three that respond that are most eager, you know, I I bet if you send five out, you you only get four back within 24 hours. So that'd be a good way to to knock out one. But um, I'd look for the person that's picking up the phone, trying to get you on the phone. The person that's eager to earn your business and wants to do what they need to do to earn your business. And then I'd also look and see where everybody falls in the ballpark as far as the price they want to sell you the vehicle and see who's ready to really start, you know, negotiating on it or who's trying to hold for all the marbles. And I don't think it hurts to, to let those salespeople know that, hey, I'm not just shopping you, but I'm shopping so-and-so down the street as well. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing that I, I see as a salesperson when I'm, when I'm looking at a, a customer's deal is they're on a different vehicle at our store than they are at the other store. So, you know, they're like, well, this guy's $3,000 cheaper. And it's like, well, the vehicle's $5,000 cheaper. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's not the same discount. So sometimes you have to put your investigative hat on a little bit and make sure you're looking at a, you know, same package, same package, same price vehicle, yep. you know, and then uh, basically get them to kind of go, go to bat for you and see who's got the best price. That's where you asked for the VIN number, right? Because I know I've done this before and you guys not specifically you all, but like you say, okay, well, that that's good. You wanted a 2018 F-250. Um, what's the VIN number? Because then at that point, you guys can really dig in and see if one's a Lariat versus one's an XT or whatever. Yeah, if, if they're willing to share the VIN number from the, yeah. And the other thing is that you can usually trade for a vehicle if you don't have that vehicle. So that way you're knowing that I've got the exact same vehicle built, and so we're apples to apples comparison, not an apples to pair comparison. Does that cost money for you guys to get that so what does that look like? So if you know, if I say I'm comparing Bob Thomas Ford to name a Ford dealership down south, as that dealer, are, are you like, no, I'm not going to release that vehicle? Surely there is that. Well, you're not supposed to, I if, guess. If they had a lead on it come in that morning or within the last 24 hours, they're not releasing that vehicle. Right. But uh, that doesn't mean that that vehicle doesn't exist in like 30 other iterations in the 300-mile radius. And mm-hmm. so we can go to dealer C for example, and grab that vehicle for you if we don't have it on our lot. Do dealers play nice with each other? For the most part, we do. You know, I think if, if the customer's in front of me, they know the chance of that customer leaving and coming in front of them is, you know, is slim. And, and so I think for the most part, we all have good trading reciprocity with each other. That's good. Yeah, because you'd imagine it, 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 you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you both ways. No. So, And you kind of don't want to be blackballed where you're just kind of known as a jerk that doesn't play nice with others and exactly what yeah. i would give to be at the like dealership conference when because you know there's that one guy and if you don't think if you can't think that the, you're the if you can't think that there isn't a guy yeah. then, then you're, you're the, the guy and you're that guy do you have a guy and you're not allowed you're not gonna say his or her name we, we the dealership the name yeah yeah we, we we have dealers we don't trade with mm. but wow. but i i think for the most part 90 percent the stores were willing to trade with us and we're willing to trade with them yeah. that's awesome okay so so now, would you recommend if when you're going to a dealership, you wouldn't recommend necessarily trying to vet them unless you already have kind of some idea of the car that you want to buy 
and maybe been on their website or something and actually seen the car that you want to buy, right? You, you don't just go to a dealership and be like, I just want to talk to your most successful salesperson and just kind of see if I get the warm and tingly feelings. People still do that. And, you know, it's, it's surprising. A lot less than what it used to be. Uh, people are coming in with a lot more research, have typically started the conversation with an online sales representative or have called the store and talked to somebody and have an idea or have an appointment. So we're doing a lot more appointment-based selling than we've ever done in the past, but we still have people that, you know, will hit us and then hit the store down the road and then come back or, yeah. you know, end up doing business at the store down the road. That sounds miserable. It's that like sounds- a whole... Well, that's where you have like the auto mile, you know, in some cities yeah. where it's like there's right. 13 car. Heck, we kind of have that in, in little old McKinney here. Yeah. We have that. Yeah, I imagine that would be, I can't imagine just being a car salesman. I mean, because I got to feel like you are just continuously running on a treadmill. Like, And in the same way that people don't trust car salespeople, they go in with an adversarial attitude, oh, which can totally. be, I'm sure, challenging as a salesperson. It is. Sometimes if there's pieces of information that we need that, you know, a, a customer has their guard up and isn't willing to, to give the whole picture, it's hard to come up with the most competitive rate. You know, if the customer's yeah. a cash customer or they plan to finance or, you know, if they have a trade-in, if they don't have a trade-in, there's lots of different ways to skin a cat, if you will, or put a car deal together. And uh, if somebody's, you know, got their guard up and not willing to give you all the information, sometimes it is difficult to put together the absolute best price for that customer. Yeah. Is it kind of, is it, is it negatively harm, harming the deal and the customer in that case? It can negatively harm the customer. You know, sometimes if a customer's wanting, like we talked about, you want to see that invoice price. And then what if you want to try to get below that invoice price? Well, if there was a trade-in and, you know, depending on the reasonable expectation of what that trade-in is worth, you might be able to over allow on the trade-in, offer a little more than what the trade-in is worth, or under allow on the trade-in, offer a little less, but to give them the selling price of the vehicle that they wanted, and then they're still leaving with, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's buying these cars that they're selling new for the exact same amount of money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if a deal sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. And I think if, if, if you find the person that you feel comfortable with and you've given the opportunity to shop them, so you've got a price from somewhere else, you should, based off that, be able to pr- put together a pretty competitive price, a pretty fair price for you to buy the vehicle. So whenever you're at the car dealership and the guy's like, let me go talk to my manager, and then he goes in that elevated box room that you can either see in perfectly, you can't. Do you go in or you're like, so the uh, Mavericks had a pretty good little game. Do you, is there even any talking that goes on in there? There is. You uh, lie they, like a rug. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. There, the, the sales manager is going to be asking questions uh, so he knows how to best like if this person's about their credit about uh, the trade-in about the amount of equity and if we pulled credit at this point we're trying to figure out if the person can even afford the vehicle that they're on or if they can afford a whole lot more and we're good to go but they the manage the management has a screen um, that they're able to put the car deal together in that the salesman doesn't have access to um, so they're able to see the, the credit score, the rate that was came back from the bank and uh, try to so they, they, they're looking at a bigger picture and what they're asking the salesperson to do is just go out and get the commitment that the customer wants to buy and then the management team is kind of doing the all the bits and pieces to make the deal. How so much th- of it is a gut decision? How, how much of that conversation is the manager being like, is this person kind of a jerk? Do you, like what is there is there kind of like a do, you know, let's that do this sort guy of, solid or yeah. No. 
I mean, I think definitely like, you know, if on a Saturday, we sell a lot of cars on Saturday. It's a big, busy day. And, you know, you want to know if somebody's wasting your time or if they're actually serious and, and trying to buy yeah. a vehicle that day. But at the same time, there's nothing wrong with coming in and looking and, and buying at a later date. But, you know, you don't want someone that's just out there kicking tires and uh, taking up some time, you know, and yeah. you, you're giving them iteration after iteration after it, and nothing nothing works or you're $200 apart on payment. Well, $200 apart on payment, it's going to take a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get there. All right, so I have a question, and I'm glad that you said it because I've always wondered. The term tire kicker, do you know where the history of that is? Uh, no. Do, do you know? I don't think I do. No, here's one of Johnny's. I, no, I don't is, know. We did the I, same thing on the mixology deal where he was giving us fun no, facts. No, I have, two, I one, have two. no idea. All right. But it's it's a term that, like, you know, like it's a tire kicker. He's out there kicking tires, and you just said it. There's got to be a crazy cool story. Oh, you don't know? You I just really asked the question. Know. You didn't know? I figured maybe. I figured uh, maybe this is it. my role in this. My role on this show is to All derail right. us and then look up information. Reed's going to find out where the term tire kicker comes from because I bet you there's a pretty cool story. And if there's not, then I would ask that you just make something up. You got it. Um, okay. So while Reed is doing really, really important research, let's talk about the really three main types of vehicles. that You can, you can buy new. You can buy used. And used, I'm going to lump that certified pre-owned in there, uh, and you can also lease a vehicle. So what are some pros and cons to buying new? And, and understand that a lot of people have heard from a lot of different people, never buy a new car, because the moment you drive off the lot, that thing drops in value, That you know, and it's easy to get upside down. What are, what are some of the pros uh, to, to buying a new vehicle? So, you know, you're absolutely right. One of the cons is the second you leave the dealership lot, the second you sign the paper and, and take, uh, take the keys, that vehicle is yours and it does drop in value. And that, that's the short term. So if you're buying a vehicle for the long term, that really shouldn't matter to you. Define short and long term. I'm talking about the first three to four years of ownership. Years. Okay. It also depends if you put more equity down or you have a trade-in and, and you're not financing, if you're only financing 20 or 30 or 50% of the vehicle purchase, then it's not that big of a deal. But if you're financing 90%, 100% of the vehicle purchase, then uh, yeah, there's gonna be a drop when you when you leave. And that's because you're having to sell that vehicle uh, back to the dealership, he's buying it pre-owned, he's gonna have to you know market it, sell it, yeah. and try to make his money in it. So you know it does, but over the course of two to three years, that curve starts to level out. And then as you continue on the ownership cycle, you know, depending on the miles, depending on the condition, depending on how you take care of your car, that vehicle starts to outperform that curve and you have equity in your vehicle. Gotcha. So what are that, because that to me still kind of is on the, uh, those are some of the, the dangers of buying a new car. I know there are a lot of pros yeah, to absolutely. it as well. So what are some pros? Well, with the pros, you can get exactly what you want. So, you know, you want that F-150 Lariat Ultimate package with roof, you can go get that. Um, with a pre-owned, you know, 30,000 miles on it, uh, maybe that doesn't exist. Maybe it doesn't exist in a 300-mile radius, or it does, but it's got 70,000 miles on it, and you didn't want that many miles. Yeah. So with new, you can come in and say, man, this is the list I want. We, we even build vehicles for consumers, and it takes six to eight weeks to, to get a vehicle in. Uh, during normal times. Now, now it might take a little longer, but you know, before coronavirus, uh, six to eight weeks, we could get an F-150 built at the factory to their exact specifications. And uh, you also get the best finance rate available. So 
like we talked about the subvented rates, you know, we got 0% right now, 0.9%, 1.9, that's not available on used vehicles. And so you can get a better rate. You also are buying a brand new vehicle, so it's coming with a full intact warranty, uh, limited warranty and powertrain warranty, and a known owner history, which is zero. Um, and you know, you got that new car smell, which yeah. that's important to a lot of people too, right? It is. New car smell, so. So those are, that's kind of the, the pro. What about rebates and, and things like that? Is there certain things that like, hey, when you buy it new, you're gonna, you know, you can get a price break on it or something like that? Yeah, I mean, definitely depends on the, the model that you're looking at. But, you know, anytime we, we settle and say, hey, this customer's coming in to look at F-150s, the, the only thing we need is their name and their zip code. And based on that, we can show the full list of every available rebate from the manufacturer and then we can go sit there and go down that list and say hey are you part of the american quarter horse association yes or no no all right well then move on to the next Do you one guys check that we have to right because if if we were to give that rebate and then not be able to prove so up I to, that i have to produce my aqha uh tag yeah yeah and that's and that's one that's just like a real random one but i wanted to throw <laughs> it out there because there are so many um there's ones that are tied into dallas cowboy season ticket holders there are ones tied into Farm Bureau. Um, so we, we try to go down that list. Um, a lot of ones typically with first responders and military, either active and retired. And so we go through that list and find out everything that you qualify for. And so we can put the best deal in front of you possible. Yeah. And uh, so it, it, but typically it boils down to you either are part of it or you're not. And you have to, you know, Is that prove a beat it. down? I would imagine if there's like let's say twenty different things and they're all like the American Quarter Horse Association, Don't and now you're having to like question. call yeah like some old guy is like saying yes to each one and you're like oh man two hundred and fifty dollars gonna be like check. six weeks of phone calls it's usually a beat down when somebody says yes they're a part of all that especially like on the phone or online. and so then you give them that price with all those incentives in uh, there yeah and then they're like well actually. I'm not. I, I thought we were American Quarter Horse, or I thought we were Farm Bureau, but we're not. Yeah, I'm European Quarter Horse but Association. I, but I still want that price, you know. And and, <laughs> and and that's difficult because that $500 rebate, that $1,000 rebate, was given to us by the manufacturer. Because there so, was a deal worked out way above you guys with right. Ford or with whoever. And yeah. so we don't have the ability to to pass that on as much as we'd like to pass that money on, right? And so. Um, you know, and like we said, we can't keep it for ourselves. It's just not there. So, right. so sometimes when you've given somebody the best price and then they don't actually qualify for the best price, uh, it gets a little yeah, jicky. I bet. Okay, I have an answer. Okay, let's hear. Kick it. the tires. Kick the you tires. guys ready for this? I am. I expect you, Brandon, with the next deal that you do, or you're you're going to explain this to somebody in the very near future. Okay, I'll be upset if you don't. So, the in early days. Um, tires would they only had one axle on vehicles and so a axle a tire could look inflated even though it was completely flat uh, because the other tires were being Basically held up. It up so you'd kick the tires to determine whether it was flat or not because it only had one axle what what time frame was this I don't know, Is 1924. Like, I just made this. How about, I have no idea. It's on the ChicagoTribune.com. But it, it, it's a very I, reputable uh, internet yeah. search. It also also found one that said that uh, that said whenever horses shared roads with cars, that cars on cobblestone streets kept having flat tires, and so you'd kick the tires to see 
because they kept on flat tires, but I didn't like that one. I liked this one. Better. No, I like that one better too. So, so now you, you know. At your next, uh, there you at go. Next one team axle, meeting. I guess. I don't know. I don't know about vehicles, but there you go. Um, okay, so we can kind of um, now that we have that. Now we're armed with that. Yeah. That knowledge. There you go. Let's talk about buying used. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. You're you're jumping in because yeah. I wanted to ask this question. Okay, so let's say the apocalypse happened and you are somehow because I know that your trajectory in your life is dealership, right? And then your kids' traje- trajectory is some. It'd be silly for them not to be in a dealership of some kind. Even though I know you tried to be a cook for a while, um, but if you had, you could tell your son, daughter, all the stuff. Hey, Dad, I'm gonna go buy a vehicle. Would you say? Well, go buy new, or would you say go buy used? Ooh. It's a really good one. Hard-hitting I, question. I, it definitely... From the guy who makes a living selling vehicles. Do we need to role-play this, Reed? Do you need to be his daughter? Sure. All right, uh, you ready? All right, you ready? <laughs> yep. Hey, Dad, looking kind of fat today. Uh, <laughs> Is that what... Does that know what they <laughs> no. normally say? And you got to talk no. higher than that. Come on, we got to put him in the <laughs> right frame of okay, mind. Okay, ready? Hey, Daddy, I'm thinking about buying a new car. Should hey. I buy new? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, that's should really I buy? Should I buy new or used? I need to make a good financial decision. I have the money to buy new, but uh, should I buy used? Well, that's what I was gonna say, right? So you say you have the money to buy new because sometimes, and I hadn't got to my pros and cons here for the used, but you know, sometimes with with the used vehicle, you can get more vehicle than you'd afford new uh, for less money, and so that that makes sense, right? So. If my daughter was looking for something that she could afford new, um, I think that'd be great because it'd be, I know it'd be the newest, the latest, the greatest. It'd have the safety and the tech, you know, the things that she'd want. And uh, I'd I'd be for it. But, you know, maybe she doesn't have the money to get the trim level she wants, only the the base vehicle. Well, we could go look for a vehicle that's one or two years old, hopefully certified, that has um, an extended warranty. And we could go find the vehicle that she wants in the higher trim levels, got the leather seats, got the CD player, you know, got all, all the bells and whistles. CD player. <laughs> I know, that, that was like, that was like yeah, 20 years just, old. It's got a good I don't know. We just all dated uh, ourselves. But it's got the, it's got the it's Bluetooth, got a good cassette uh, player, satellite, and... satellite radio. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the latest, greatest and top of the line. She's got the sunroof now, which she really was excited about. And we can go find that with like 20,000 miles, 30,000 miles on it. And it's more affordable than the new car that was base with the cloth interior, didn't yeah. have the satellite nav and sunroof. Is there a, okay, so just, I don't want to, I don't want to steal your, your thunder here. So go over kind of the experts version of the pros and cons of buying used. Well, you definitely can get more vehicle for less money. You know, there's going to be miles on yeah. it. It might be one or two years old, but. You know, you're getting that King Ranch pickup truck instead of the the base XLT pickup truck, mm-hmm. right? And uh, you know, you can hopefully pick up a certified pre-owned, so you maybe are getting two to three years of warranty, just like on a new one. So, and because somebody else took that new car hit that we were talking about, um, even with you buying it still at you know a marked up premium back, uh, you're not going to have that hit right after the purchase like you would on a new car. So I think that curve is going to be much, and and it's still there. I mean, if you were going to have to turn around and sell a car you bought yesterday, it's always going to be worth less than what you paid for. But instead of three to four years, like we talked about on a new car, you know, it might be one to two years that you're getting back to a good equity situation. Cons though is like less selection, right? 
you say, hey, I, I know I want to buy that F-150 King Ranch. Well, they don't have any F-150 King Ranches, or they do, but they got a whole lot more miles than the one that I was kind of hoping mm-hmm. I'd get. Or it's red. You know, I, I just don't want a red car. I wanted black, white, or silver. I was, you know, so that's that's one of the cons is that you, you don't get to pick out that exact vehicle that you wanted. Um, you also, if you're buying from a private party, you don't know the owner history. Even if you're yeah. buying from the dealer, you sometimes don't know the owner history um, and how often main- maintenance was performed. Now, again, a dealership's still going to do all the safety on it. They're going to get it back up to snuff, but, you know, you don't know if that belonged to some kid that was constantly doing burnouts, revving that engine, yeah. redline, et cetera. And so, you know, that that can be a con for, for buying pre-owned. But I think for the most part, you know, everything's pretty well built. And, and, and as long as it's maintained or run through the shop, we have a pretty good idea of everything that we're selling is, you know, in good working order. Is another con the fact that, like, if it is a really good deal or if it's kind of a – if it is like a black – F-150, you know, platinum or something that like maybe a lot of people are looking for, there's a time constraint where it's like, hey, they have it. Six people have now come and looked at it. And now I I have to act faster than if it was a new vehicle. And I have my, I can kind of go at a slower speed maybe. You know, I'd say they go just about as fast. With a new vehicle, there might be three black F-150 platinum sitting there in a row. So the chance that all three are going to go, slim to none. But, you know, if there's just the one used one with 12,000 miles, it's primo that, that you want, you know, you, you probably do have to act faster. And typically the way we work it, and I think most dealerships do, is until a deal is consummated or money is put down, that, that vehicle's for sale. Yep. You know, and, and a lot of people say, oh, that's a tactic. You know, you're saying, hey, I got somebody coming to look at it this afternoon. But it happens far more often than you know. I'd, I'd say uh, when we get a bad social media review, we actually got one today. It was because the vehicle got sold out from under somebody. But And they thought it was a bait and switch. But the, but the problem is, is if I held a vehicle for every single person that said, I'll be back. I'm just going to run to the bank and get my, get my check, get my cashier's check or whatever it is. If I did that for every single person, um, we'd just be sitting on cars and not selling vehicles. Yeah. So it makes sense. And we try to be honest enough front and say, hey, you want to put five hundred dollars you know on your credit card right now to hold the vehicle? We can do that. But until they sign up, that vehicle's for sale. Very interesting. Wow. So if you really like a vehicle, the the wisdom here is just go ahead and put something down on it. Yeah. I mean get 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 the deal consummated, make sure they lock it down and put it market is sold for you. Can okay. I use the word consummated at a dealership so I can feel super smart? Yeah. yeah Perfect. Absolutely. What was that other term with the uh, with the with the uh, APR that's lower? Was it subvented? Subvented. Oh uh, my goodness! You're gonna be I'm, an expert. Oh, kid me! I would just recommend I'm gonna go that you and make eye contact without blinking as you say consummate. Let's yeah. consummate this deal. And Are you just make? I, I was practicing my. But eye contact. I feel really weird. But that's how they're. Last week, feel. this is it's like when play. Chase was. He said like. Something about ripping people's faces off, and he like looked at me weird three yeah. times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, what about leasing? So leasing, um, and we were talking about this before we we got on the air uh, about different vehicles, and you actually had some really interesting tactics with it. But kind of give us the overarching pros and cons to leasing. Overall pros and cons to leasing. Uh, the pros is your payments typically cheaper than if you were to do a purchase. Um, you cycle out your car every two to four years, depending on the term that you sign up for. And uh, you don't have to worry about depreciation because if the vehicle is worth less than what you paid off at that point, you just walk away. 
Mm-hmm. The vehicle's worth more. You might be able to pick up a grand or two grand as far as trading value towards your next purchase, or you can always buy it at the end of a lease. Cons are uh, typically your max miles are 10, 12, 14,000 miles annually. And in Texas, you know, I'd say the average driver is doing about 12,000, but somebody that's commuting to Dallas or something every day probably isn't a good candidate for a lease. The other thing is you have to have good credit for a lease. So if you don't have a top tier credit, a lease might not be available for you as well. Can, but you, I, can you buy miles? Can, like if I, if, I'm, if I know I'm going to be putting, let's say, 18,000 miles on it, you know, I'm driving an hour each way or something, can I add more miles or is that not really Yes, you can. Um, and, and, and typically, after f- it just depends on, on the model and, and everything. And But when you're going past 14,000 miles, it starts to make sense to look at the purchase of the vehicle okay. um, because that payment keeps going up. So um, I always like to show both and just make sure the customer fully understands what they get in a lease. But, you know, a lot of people say, I don't want a lease because I want to own my vehicle. But... Uh, it's no different than getting a six-year note from the bank. The bank owns your vehicle until it's paid off. Yeah. And so many people say that, and they're still trading out every three years. Well, if you're going to do that, you might as well lease and get that new vehicle every three years with yeah. a lower payment You know, the whole time. So um, lots of pros and cons for both, but I definitely think if, if, if leasing is an option, it's always worth exploring. Cool. All right, so um, I think that brings a lot of clarity to it. Um, and uh, I think that that kind of at least gives people the framework of we're not trying to oversell only buy used, only buy new, only, you know, only lease. Uh, we're trying to give a lot of like really broad perspective here. Let's talk about once once you kind of decide I'm going to buy new, I'm going to buy, you know, you decided that what types of vehicles, uh, both in manufacturer and vehicle type, it, it does, does one type hold their value more or less or one manufacturer? That's a great question. Automotive Lease Guide publishes their list of highest residual values by brand every year. And uh, not to toot our own horn, but Subaru has uh, held that for the last 10 years, the the crown, and Toyota and Honda right behind. So uh, all three of those are Japanese automotive automakers, and uh, those three have the top scores with Automotive Lease Guide, which more than anything means that they're great vehicles for leasing. It means they're going to have a really competitive payment when it comes to leasing. And also, if you're going to do a purchase, there's a good chance you're going to get into equity a little bit faster. But when you look at, you know, going in to buy those vehicles, the rebates aren't typically there either. You know, you're looking at, hey, it's a Subaru. We can give you $500 off. You're like, whoa, well, like the Ford guy is like $6,000 off. Well, it's different because uh, the way those automotive manufacturers go to market. On the other hand, you've got the American-made vehicles, and uh, because the residuals aren't as high, they use a lot more rebates as far as to sell the vehicle below MSRP. Um, so I think you know at the end of the cycle, it, it is a lot more apples to apples. One, you're just getting the discount up front versus at the end. Yeah. Um, how many? What? How many? Uh, yeah, I'm going there. How many times when you are one is selling a Subaru. Is it to a female who probably has underarm hair and owns a Labrador? Um, I mean, we sell to everybody. Yeah, okay. both what? I was asking one as a not a sect demographic, but as a whole. 
Is that kind of, yeah, see, I'm, this like, is why I'm not allowed on this show. How many hacky sacks do those customers have? You know, no, it just kind of got I feel stigma. like people, people that buy Subarus are super loyal to Subarus. They are. Okay. Subaru has a great storm brewing, and it is, they've got the most loyal um, customer base of yeah. any automotive manufacturer right now. And they've also got the fastest conquesting. So it's uh, it's kind of like the perfect storm right now where What's they're conquesting. They're, um, bringing in customers from Chevrolet or Nissan or Honda. So they're adding new customers at a faster clip than anybody else, and then they're creating loyal customers at a more loyal rating than- So you're saying this is a good time to own a Subaru dealership? Uh, it's It's been a crazy 10 years. They've, yeah. they've, they're the only automotive manufacturer to have an increase in sales in 2008, and they've done it every year since yeah. without missing a beat. People so. I know that drive Subarus um, love Love no, 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 that's not me. I wasn't I, saying that. I think of you're holding up a sign. It's like I think I'm of like Colorado, what you're doing. right? I, I think of because like it's people that drive. love outdoors and and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's you know and hacky stuff. I love. Let me tell you guys something real fast. I've just put Brandon in the hot seat, and you did great. <sighs> if you are destined to be a politician, because I just threw a curveball at you, you did great. Congratulations. <laughs> well, thank you. You still get um, to keep your dealership. So, you know, it, it is funny, though, because we definitely look at demographics so that we can create a marketing budget and, and, and find out. So and Subaru seems to know more about their customers than, than a lot of manufacturers out there. And like, for instance, they know that over 50 percent of their car buyers have dogs. And so that's why you see those dog commercials in yeah. the Subarus. And uh, we, we, we have dog bowls out, you know, and like dog treats available. Smart. And the amount of people that bring their dog for an oil and filter change. As crazy as it sounds, because, you know, working at Ford for 20 years and seeing, like, two dogs maybe in 20 yeah. years, you know, we got people that are like, hey, we need to see if uh, our dog likes this car. And you're just like, oh, oh that's great. Get him back there. You know, let, <laughs> us, let us know what he thinks, and uh, let's put a deal together. You're catering to not only the person but also the Cocker Spaniel that is uh, tagging along. Whatever it takes. Um, what about – so So that's really interesting about, about those, and I think that most people would – assume maybe that more foreign brands hold their value a little bit better some people you know are like chevy till they die or ford till they die and every every car manufacturer has you know its positives and negatives to it but it is interesting the loyalty people show but what about um uh, vehicle type so a sedan coupe uh, truck Jeep, and I know I'm putting that, that's kind of its own brand, but like, uh, is there is there one type of vehicle that tends to hold their value better? Well, I think when you're talking about the, the short term, um, and again, we're talking like less than five years, you know, I think sedan is, is probably my broad answer there, but it definitely depends, not just on the make, Japanese vehicle or American vehicle, but on, you know, which model we're talking about and how it's performed with consumer reports and the ratings it's received from car and driver and is that a vehicle that people want, you know, because if there's still a market for those vehicles and getting your hands on those vehicles, I mean, part of what I think drives Subaru's residual so high is that Subaru's having trouble keeping up with the demand of their vehicles. So for all the people that come in that can't find what they want new, they're able to find it pre-owned. So, mm. you know, if there's, if there's not a lot of those vehicles out there that can always artificially, you know, inflate that, the other thing I'd say to that, though, is trucks, and that's because trucks tend to have that 200,000, 300,000-mile life expectancy. So on the long-term range, you know, it seems like trucks never 
lose like where a sedan hits a hundred thousand maybe that's like the not you know that, that, that sedan might kind of, run yeah. to three hundred thousand miles but that value is 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 pretty drops pretty drastically at a hundred thousand miles is it just because the utility of the truck the utility of the truck is what takes it even further right because no matter what the trim level is no matter what the make is somebody can go out and use that truck and and so trucks, you know, at 10 years old, 100,000 miles, it's kind of amazing how much they're they're still worth and, yeah. and good. I I feel like, so I've driven a, a truck for quite a few years, and I know you have too. It, it would be hard to to go away from a truck. Oh, it's, it'd be impossible. Just because you start getting used to that. Throw stuff in the back. Like going to Home Depot and not worrying about, like, folding down the seat and all that stuff. So, yeah, I can I can – see that somebody that has bought a truck they're going to want to keep a truck and and it you know that that to me makes a lot of sense when you have a truck you never have to borrow somebody else's vehicle yeah you just have to get roped into helping people move uh, helping other time. people but you can yeah. say no versus can i borrow can you say no reed i can always say no <laughs> um so is there um is there like a, a color that holds their value more you made a comment about red what white and silver or something is, Black, is there white and silver is there colors that hold their value better than others no i i think typically it's going to be year the the age of the vehicle and the miles that's that's your two main things and then the third thing would be condition making sure that the vehicle's still in good shape versus if it's got a, been in a wreck has a bad carfax has significant damage that's not been repaired to the vehicle um, as far as popular colors, though, in the in America, black, white, and silver are the one, two, three. Okay. Um, silver reminds me of a fleet vehicle, though. It, every time so, I see so silver, white, though. Yeah, white too. Yeah. But they're clean. I think they just look really clean. Right. Yeah, I, I think the popularity is because white and silver looks so clean mm-hmm. uh, without as much work as black. And you know, yeah, black, black vehicle truck. looks great when it's been clean, and then 24 hours later, sometimes it looks like it that. needs to. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I have a black vehicle, and it does. It looks mean whenever it's it's clean, and then it just looks like I've ridden down country roads for six weeks after like an hour and a half of driving down like a, in suburbia. Yeah, so um, that's that's really really interesting. And I think what is um, what is something that people need to maintain. So if I have a car and I want it to hold value, what are some things that I I should do? You talked about making sure the interior stays nice and. Is, is there things that people need to do to help maintain that value? You know, I think as long as someone takes care of their vehicle and shows that they're, you know, they get, they get the maintenance when it needs to be. Um, they're not showing up with a check engine light on to say, hey, could you give me value for this vehicle? And, yeah. you know, there's a, a, a blaring red light saying, hey, hey there's something wrong here. Um, you know, damage to the vehicle. But, you know, that's something I didn't even make notes for. But when you're trading in a vehicle – you know, we, we all know things can happen. And I think sometimes people get caught up in, I want to make that vehicle look perfect, you know, when I'm trading it in. And I don't think that that's always the, the best course of action because typically a dealership can fix or repair anything that's wrong uh, cheaper than the person can go out and do it. So, like, let's say the vehicle needs a $500 repair at market price. They're not gonna. They keep, if they go spend that five hundred dollars, they're not gonna get five hundred dollars more for the vehicle, mm-hmm. right? Really so, interesting. So, so you know, it's it's always good to be or go get the quote. This is what it would cost to fix, and ask them. Say, hey, how much would you give it to me like this? How much would you give me if the bumper was fixed? 
but I think nine out of 10 times, it's not going to be worth the money to spend it if the vehicle isn't in the pristine condition you wanted it to be in. Man, that is super that is interesting. Great advice. Um, okay, so I think this needs to be our stopping point for right now. We still have so much to cover. I was hoping we were going to go faster, but I, I really felt like I, I wanted to land on each one of those points. Uh, next uh, next week, hopefully, you can come on back, and we're going to talk about um, kind of putting it all together. So we're going to talk about what research you need to do uh, before you go to the car lot and uh, what that buying process looks like, how to negotiate the price. It's going to be a fantastic show and it's going to give you a lot more um, specific technical strategies on how you can end with the very, very best deal. So uh, Brandon, thank you so much for coming. This is very eye-opening. As, as somebody that has uh, loathed the car buying process myself, um, I, I honestly feel like a lot of this has given me some some better perspective and made me more knowledgeable. Um, so we'll have you back next week, and we're going to go into a little bit more of that strategy. I want to thank our listeners and uh, and and for for joining us and for listening and contributing. Um, I want to ask that if you're listening to this show, uh, that you give us a five star review. Um, go on; it helps a lot in terms of uh, Apple and uh, Spotify and all of those things. So if you're listening, you're enjoying the content, go on uh, and give us a five-star review. And uh, we will see you next week. And we're going to give you even more wonderful tips. See you next week. Well, uh, thank you for listening to the Mantelligent Podcast. This is the show for guys and all about guys, where we will continue to give you the tools and resources to become the man you always wanted to be. This is Johnny and Reed signing off and reminding you to be... Man intelligent.